Do you like listening to stories about serial killers? Unsolved mysteries? How about a cult or two? And what about those lesser known serial killers? Or how about the legend of a cryptid that will surely keep you up at night? And I know you'll love a good conspiracy theory because who doesn't? Join me, Kayla, as my co-host Lexi and I tell you stories that will keep you coming back for more on our show, A Little Wicked. You can find A Little Wicked on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Check out our website, alittlewickedpodcast.webador.com, and our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all under, you guessed it, A Little Wicked. We can't wait to tell you our stories. Scary ghosts, creepy serial killers, all things that go bump in the night. Enjoy the view from the open shutters. <laughs> Hi, Creepsters. I'm Barry Marino. I'm Philip Landry. I'm Drew Fontenot. And welcome to another episode of Open Shutters, a creepy podcast. We regret to say that Shaughnessy can't be with us tonight, but she will be back in a couple of weeks. She's having some personal issues that she says needs to take care of that need her attention. So it's the three of us. It's just us guys this week. What you think of that? Miss Shaughnessy. I miss her too. But I do love y'all. So. <laughs> but I like it. You guys are great too. So I, and I and y'all. Miss Shaughnessy. We do miss you. We and we know you're gonna listen because you're gonna probably want to see how well you're do we're doing without you. All right. First of all, what we starting off with? What's going on? What's going on? Uh. Well, Andrew's got some nerves about himself for everybody. Yeah, you got some news. Go ahead and tell us. I do. I got a job finally. You do? What, do, what are you doing? I am a staffing uh, specialist. Oh, cool. We're not going to give any details. We're not yes, going to tell you what the company it. is. No, because I don't we, want people to stalk me. We have to protect, we have to protect this young man's privacy. We have to protect the innocent. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Okay, you know, all about, right. I don't know about innocent. But. No. <laughs> Compared so, to me, I got now. a few decades on you. <laughs> Maybe not in a few weeks, but for now. Yeah, compared to me, I got a few decades on both of y'all. <laughs> so do you, things do you, you don't love even the new know. job? I absolutely love the new job. I love my coworkers. Um, it's intense sometimes, but what is what in life isn't intense? So that's right. Yes, indeed. So anyway, oh, so you got you got a new job. I'm still working where I've been working. I'm still, you know, we have a fisheye food overload as far as the customers go in that place. Sometimes I get really, 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 really frustrated. But hey, it's a job. It's it's helping pay the bills. That's what I have to say about it. That's all, right. all right. What so much doing? new. I even got a new med. I'm on a new med, folks. A new med? Yeah, they they added a new med this week. <laughs> Oh Lord! To I help with my meds. my it's neurological the, issues. It's the Valley of the Dogs. I'm not, I'm <laughs> on the gabapentin now, honey. But you know what's funny? The gabapentin they give that to also the cat 
takes gabapentin when he has to go to the vet mm-hmm. to relax You're him. You're taking cat meds? No, 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 no. I'm taking a, a, a meds, but it's the same drug, and I've got to take gabapentin now. And uh, Yeah, it makes you drowsy. It. it makes you drowsy as hell, you know? Well, you can make Xanax to go to sleep. So I guess I'm in the Valley of the Dolls. Huh? Mm-hmm. Or Xanax wasn't invented back Wait. then. But that's definitely something Neely O'Hara would have taken. Well, I had the combination of of CBD gummies at night with the melatonin, with the gabapentin, all right. How do you even wake up in the morning with all that? that I wake up, right? uh, Be careful with that because that's how Heath Ledger died. He he mixed pills. Okay, well, I'm only taking what I'm supposed to be taking. Yeah, and we don't want anybody finding you naked. It actually, I will say, even though I've dealt with the drowsiness, it has actually helped the problem. I think you're finally getting used to my sense of humor. It's kind of sick, but it takes it's, it's an acquired taste. I ain't gonna be naked unless I'm supposed to be naked. <laughs> and if y'all see me outside the house naked, call the authorities and call the uh, mental health. You'd be like uh, like Paul Murphy, the chess champ that was from New Orleans. They had him committed because he used to do his gardening in the French Quarter, stark naked. Oh no! And no. Jack Cassidy did that too. I'm too. Did you know about that? Because I know you know about all this old star stuff. You know, Jack Cassidy, father of David, ex-husband of Shirley Jones. I didn't know that. He used to hose his lawn naked in front of everybody. In front of God and everything. Seriously, it's time for me to go to the home if y'all see me out naked in this street. <laughs> and we don't want, um, we don't, but you know, I did do something kind of senior stupid. Oh, you thinking it's time for the home? No, I forgot the stove <laughs> on with the plastic <gasps> spatula. What the fuck? And went to work. Yeah. And Shit. our Roz got home and no. saw that, and it was a good thing he got home because oh I ruined the spatula and the pan. I made a grilled cheese sandwich, and I thought the stove was off, and instead of turning it all the way to off, okay, I just turned it on high. I got a different way for you to make a grilled cheese. You toast the bread. Oh, do you have a working microwave first? That's the question. No, 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 no. I tried that. That's dreadful. It's That's not, not a grilled cheese. It's not dreadful. <laughs> it actually is a grilled cheese. No. First, you got to use really good bread. You put the uh, butter on the, on the uh, insides of the bread. Then you put your cheese down. You um, do that in there. You put it in for about 20 seconds. That sounds like something you'd buy at Circle K. Actually, it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. It's it really good. Well, I'll try it. See. But you don't. You got to use good ingredients if you're going to do it. Well... I always use, I like American cheese, and that's why I like my grilled cheese. But I never use margarine. I always use butter. Okay. So let me tell you what we're using. We're using the Pepperidge Farm Sweet Hawaiian Bread. We got we got the move, well, I got to use the move over butter, which is actually one of the best butter substitutes. But if you want to use regular butter, that's fine. And then we use the Sargento Pepper Jam cheese slices. Oh, okay. And it's well, really, that really good. Pretty good. That mm-hmm. sounds pretty good. Um, so. We know about my senior moment, and then you know I may be doing a remote from the from the nursing home before long. Okay, well that's fun. <laughs> and then um, drink the prune juice. <laughs> oh no, no, oh, no, 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 no. Oh God, hell no. Oh no, prune juice. No, uh-uh. no, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> so, what you been watching? What you saw at the movies? I saw the Batman, the biggest movie that came out. I saw Spider-Man last week. Okay, y'all are slowly convincing me to go see Batman. What'd you think? I what? thought it was very good. It was a little bit dark, and I'm not gonna. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a part at the end that happens that gave me a big post-traumatic stress. But I'm not gonna mm. tell you what it was. Oh my! Because I'd be giving the movie yeah. away. Uh, the performances. Uh, Robert Patterson did a very good job. 
to Bruce Wayne and as Batman and uh, Zoe Kravitz. She played uh, Selena Kyle with Catwoman. Uh, Colin Farrell was the Penguin, who actually in this movie is a, a, a mob boss. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Riddler was played by Paul Dano, who was actually the husband of Zoe Kravitz. Ooh, Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yes, and you know who Zoe Kravitz is, the daughter of Lisa Bonet and Lenny Kravitz. So Denise Huxtable is the Catman woman's okay. mother. <laughs> and so, yeah, and it's, it's very, very dark. It's almost to the point of being depressing. It's dark in the way that of, uh, of Nightmare Alley, that, that yeah, kind of dark. I hear oh. that it's, they, they wanted to make it into a film, like a film noir. Uh, yeah, and they that. succeeded Okay, that, that has too. me now intrigued. I want to go see for the art direction alone. They, <laughs> I read one review. They said it's really not a superhero movie. It's just you have to look at it like a guy who likes to dress up in a bat cape. Because it's like the story is like very film noir-ish. It's not like really. Okay. It mm. seems that a microphone picks up. Street noises. You heard that car just pass by. Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, we we saw um, since we did the last episode, we saw uh, Cyrano. How was that? <sighs> tell them, tell them, Drew, how fa- fa- amazing it was. Uh, it was super good. I have a huge crush on Peter Dinklage, and um, I thought he did. I really do. Well, we do. You know, we have some we have some major dwarf porn at the store. Oh, okay. Yeah, one they have oh, one come on, Barry. Really? Yeah, there's, there's a Peter Dinklage lookalike. It's a, it's a spoof of Game of Thrones. Now, what is Peter going to think <laughs> if he hears us? No, I'm just... So I, I thought it was... He'd probably amazing. get a good laugh. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was amazing. The the music is... Um, Peter, you did an amazing role. job. Yes. The art direction, the costume design, everything. It really did earn its Academy Award for that costume design. That was some really interesting costume. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm sure. And there was... I, I was trying to um, explain something because he had mentioned something about a choreographed moment where they did like a dance thing. And it kind of reminded me um, of of kind of like the old, was it um, Buzz Berkeley? What was the one? Busby Berkeley. Yeah, where they used to do those real orchestrated numbers, but it was, you could see there was an influence there to mm-hmm. it. And I was very intrigued, and I was mentioning that to uh, Drew when I was watching the movie. I thought that was kind of intriguing. Yeah, sounds sounds so. Um, but yeah, very poignant, and there was a lot of, towards the end, a lot to do with war. We'll put it that way, if you know the story of uh, um, Cyrano. Mm. And talking about war, uh, Drew, tell them about what we watched on Netflix. So we watched uh, The Bombardment, and it is a Danish film, and it is about a orphanage in World War II that gets bombed, and it's really interesting because it shows the horrors of war on both sides, you know, um, and it's actually, the British actually bomb the um, orphanage, so. Yeah, I, I was... That was probably one of the most compelling war films I've ever watched. I mean, it got me. Well, I have to watch that. I haven't seen it yet, but I will. Where else? What else are we doing? Um, there was one other show we went, we watched. Uh, uh, we all watched it on Hulu, the new fresh movie. Oh, God. Please do not eat when you watch this movie. No. I, I don't want to give any spoilers, but do not 
do not eat anything, or at least do not eat anything. Just don't eat meat. Don't eat anything. <laughs> at least not, but don't eat anything, preferably. Keep, keep your stomach light. And you know? uh, I thought, I, I, I had also, there's a series we had, we're not discussing tonight uh, about Pamela Anderson and, and Tommy Lee uh, with, uh, with his name, Sebastian Stan, who's the star of this. And I thought he did a pretty credible job. He was cre- kind of creepy. He was a creepster, kind of. It's definitely a movie for the creepsters. Oh, yeah. Our audience will love it. <laughs> I actually did like, I, I'm, don't get me wrong, I liked the show, but I was saying I was thoroughly, it was one of the few times I was ever thoroughly, like, grossed out. Y'all know me. I'm even bringing gross tonight on the horoscopes later. And, you know, me, I handle a lot, but this show was, it was uh, up there as gross. I don't know. I, I just... I won't watch it again. I'll never. I know, no, no, I won't. Watch probably. It so where are we at now? Well, you, it's time, Drew. Oh. oh, it is time for chilling with Drew. So I picked a very interesting film, kind of, kind of off subject, I guess you would say. It's uh, from 1961's um, Judgment at Nuremberg with Spencer Tracy, Burt Lancaster, Richard Widmark, Marlena Dietrich, Judy Garland, and uh, his very first film performance, Maximilian Schell, and the marvelous Montgomery Cliff. So, as the title says, um, Judgment at Nuremberg is about the Nuremberg Trials. And this was made 16 uh, years after World War II, which I find very interesting. And it is about, um, if you know anything about the Nuremberg trials, um, about they put the Nazis on trial about um, because of the atrocities they did to human beings. And it was the first time you had war criminals on trials because the, the on trial because the world realize you know we can't let people get away with what happened and so um i picked it because um i mean it really is horror and it really is creepy and it's scary because it's kind of the sign of the times it's uh goes along with the times we're living in right now with uh, what's happening happening in ukraine and the genocide that's going on and um people taking advantage of the weak and the vulnerable and so if you watch this film you'll really see the parallels of what's going on Mm. with what's going on now in the world and that brings me back to the bombardment because um, I really think you should watch both of them you should watch Judgment Nuremberg and you should watch the bombardment because they're two excellent films that will literally haunt you <laughs> I haven't so. seen uh, Judgment in a while but I remember being really impressed with Judy Garland's performance Judy's performance is um, probably the best performance she's ever done mm-hmm. um, we're used to seeing Judy in musicals comedies mm-hmm. um, you know very gay and happy films and um, this was very different for her she felt very secure making this film because you didn't have directors picking at her weight at this time she had gained a lot of weight um it was after um many many meltdowns um and stuff like that and then her addiction to meds and stuff like that and alcohol so um at this time she was very broken and she just really channeled 
her performance and um really need to check this film out i can't recommend it more imagine with all the personal problems she had that doing such a heavy film like this was easy for her oh yeah it was it yeah it wasn't easy at all and um there's um montgomery clift and judy garland loved each other and i think judy really recognized um or montgomery confided in her how how he did with uh, elizabeth taylor about his homosexuality you know that Montgomery Clift was gay and they were best friends on the set and uh, Montgomery Clift um, documented that when they would go to cut like when they would take a break you know cut cut a scene um, when the director would yell cut she would just break down in tears because the part was so heavy and I think she really um, channeled her own trauma in that because you know so the Nazis the Nazis were ruthless and I mean, I may get in trouble for saying this, but I meant Putin is a dictator, and what he's doing is horrible. And I really think, you know, we need to stand up for democracy. And um, history repeats itself because people don't learn from history. And unfortunately, we've seen this movie movie before, and it didn't end well. But I strongly believe that, you know, humanity and love and perseverance will prevail. And I know, Drew, you were working today. I mentioned earlier, um, just b- before we get into the obits, we do want to um, remember and have in our hearts the people of Ukraine right now. Um, today, earlier today, um, I did get to watch it on the news, was Zelensky's address to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Congress. And in the middle of his speech, he had shown a video. And it... And it um, juxtaposed images of Ukraine, of the beauty and the people before the war started, and then the pictures of what's been going on the last three weeks. And if you can sit through that and not break down, then there's something wrong with you. You really are a psychopath, you know, at that point, because they were showing images of just people in general, but there were little children, there were little babies, and you see... Dead babies, dead children, oh. Oh. dead people. You see bodies being thrown. Uh, no, no, no. And and if you can't sit through that and and, and not be moved, and and, and I'm for the people, and I'm about to get political for the people in our Congress. If y'all are not moved by that, shame on you. Move to some kind of shame on you. Uh, I know, but you know, there's some of the people in our Congress that have no shame. Because this say, is this true. is horror in real life. I mean, I I think I strongly I mean I strongly believe democracy will prevail, and um, like I said, we've seen this movie before, and it it did end good, but it also um, the dictator ended up not it ended up dead. And, so, that, and uh, that's Zelensky's um, Zelensky's dream is that democracy will prevail. He's hoping. He's okay. really hoping. Yeah, well, we all hoping that. I know I can't watch it. I cry at everything. I cry at the Goldbergs because it has so much heart. <laughs> I cried for the young and the restless when they took poor Ashley's baby away from her. <laughs> no, you, no, the, the, you, I can't watch that. No, but I, I, I made sure and I allowed myself to watch it because, and then, then I will turn something. I will say one thing though. Um, back to Judgment at Nuremberg. Um, they when they made this at the time, it was like I said, only sixteen years after World War Two, and. A lot of the cast took a major pay cut to make this film because they felt the message was so important. And my hat is off to them, you know, because 
at the time there were so many I mean Spencer Tracy was unbeatable and I mean Marlena Dietrich come on Burt Lancaster so but they had a voice and I think our celebrities and some have but our celebrities needs they need to speak up and you know say you know Russia you're wrong Putin you're wrong and stand up for Ukraine but that's all I have Judgment at Nuremberg 1961 well, that was a great movie, and you, and thank you for, for talking about this on here. We really got to make sure. I want to I want to revisit this movie and see it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing scarier than war. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. You got some obits for us? Oh yes, we have ne- ten obits this week. Wow, you working? Oh, they're making you work overtime. They're baby. working my ass off with the obits. They're working me to the grave. No pun intended. Anyway, my first one is someone that will be known by a lot, any horror movie buff. I'm sure Drew knows knows her. And uh, she's a beautiful blonde-haired British actress named Veronica Carlson. And she's known for uh, doing three Hayama horror films, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, and The Horror of Frankenstein. Uh, she, she, she always played the beautiful... Um, um, Angeline, is that how you say that word? Angeline? Uh, she, that's what she was known for, for playing in, um, in Dracula's Risen from the Grave. She is like the girl that Dracula wants to make his bride. And she has wow. the hunky fiance who has to save her. <laughs> uh, she was born September 18, 1944 in Yorkshire, England, and attended art school and graduated from High Wycombe College of Technology and Design. And she also appeared in the 1967 films Casino Royale and Smashing Time. And she, that's when she was noticed by the Hammer executives that got her for Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. Look at this picture of her. Wasn't she beautiful? Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Beautiful woman. I remember my mom took us to see Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. And I remember she thought this girl was gorgeous. And they had a really good, a nice looking actor play in her love interest. Who his name was Barry. <laughs> this is strange. It was kind yeah. of, but anyway, uh, she um, and uh, in nineteen yeah, in the six, 1968, then she did Dracula uh, uh, Must Be Destroyed and and the uh, Horror of Dracula of 1970 was her last of her Hammer films. But she also reunited with Peter Cushion in The Ghoul and House of Gorgon. And she appeared in a 1969 episode of Roger Moore's The Saint, uh, 1972 ITV crime series Spider's Web, and worked with David Niven in the spoof Old Dracula. She was also an accomplished painter. So rest in peace, Veronica Carlson. All right, the next one is, uh, ah, this is the ex-husband of Julie Andrews. You know, Mary Poppins and Maria Von Trapp and the woman who pulls her top off in S.O.B., uh, Tony Walton, who is the, the daughter of, the, also the father of Emma Walton, with Julie Andrews. He uh, was an award-winning stage and screen desire. He died at, at 87. And his, his daughter, Emma Walton Hamilton, whose mother is Julie Andrews, says the cause of the complications was a stroke. Mm. In more than 50 Broadway productions, he collaborated on the sets and sometimes the costumes with directors like Mike Nicholas and Bob Fosse, Jerry Sachs, and won Tony's for Pippin, The House of Blue Leaves, and Guys and Dolls. And he also worked in films, and he shared an Oscar for art and set direction with Bob, with, um, Bob Fosse for All That Jazz in 1979. I know you guys have probably seen that movie. 
Roy Scheider. I have, I have all that jazz on DVD. Oh, so that'll be one of your chilling with Drew's movies, I guess. <laughs> Actually, I still want to do the movie uh, podcast with you. That's just all movies, I think. If we ever can get the time now with everybody working, it's kind of hard. And uh, so, and he also uh, designed the sets for Mary Poppins, which starred his wife at the time, Julie Andrews. And his television uh, work included Death of a Salesman with Dustin Hoffman and Kate Reed and John Malkovich. And uh, his final Broadway show was A Tale of Two Cities in 2008. The rest in peace, Tony Walton. He left us a great body of work. I wonder if he's related to the Waltons. <laughs> like John Boy? Now you got to have that little theme going to run through my head. All right, my next one is uh, Alan Ladd Jr. Most of us know his dad, you know, from Alan Ladd, the westerns, the westerns, uh, and the film noir too, like mm-hmm. the Blue Dahlia, and the, you know, he did a lot of stuff. With, he did a couple of movies with Veronica Lake, but this is his son, Alan Ladd Jr., who is known for he's his executive, known for movies like Star Wars and Chariots of Fire. He was. Um, Producer and uh, director, the vice president for creative affairs at 20th Century Fox in 1973. And they begin talking to him about George Lucas's still evolving concept of what became Star Wars. It says George Lucas had just made American Graffiti, but it had yet to be released and it would become one of 1973's biggest films. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Ladd... New movies and audiences. His father was the actor, Alan Ladd, and he understood the appeal of Lucas's vision. So we have him to thank for the Star Wars. I'm not so sure I'm crazy about that because I'm not a Star Wars fan. But he used, he, he also he was a big fan of Fla- the Superman and Flash Gordon. So that type of adventure would have, um, would have appealed to him. And then uh, he saw potential where others did not. A few years earlier, he was shopping for his idea for Young Frankenstein, Mel Brooks. But uh, and he, everybody turned him down. He insisted on shooting a movie in black and white. Then he sat down with uh, with with Alan Ladd and said they hit it off. And he said, "You're absolutely right. It should be made in black and white." And can we imagine Young Frankenstein not made in black and white? Of course not. No, because it's such a direct spoof of the Universal horror. It films. was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll see what else we know about him. He also did. He also. Uh, he also uh, suggested that the lead character in Ridley Scott's Alien should be a woman instead of a man, and that's how we got. So that's a, he had a lot of Warren, he had a big influence on the films that we on, on classic things. We wouldn't have Ripley play Maybe Sigourney Weaver's career would have wound up much differently if she wouldn't have played Ripley. So these were all iconic shifts in, in sci-fi, comedy. I mean, yes, he, he, this, he was there. He this was man big. was a bigger influence in the films, actually, I hate to say it, than his father was. Right. So rest in peace, Alan Ladd Jr. All right, next one is probably someone who would be known, well known among, among the boomers. And... Uh, since I am the only boomer in this on this show today, but you guys will remember him from you know Me TV. I, and I know uh, my Nick three at night. Sons. My three sons star no. Tim Considine. Tim Considine was the original oldest son. You see, originally it was Mike, Chip, Mike, uh, Robbie, and Chip. And Tim Considine decided he wanted to leave the show, so they had his character marry this girl played by Meredith McRae, who later on. 
was Billy, played one of the Billy Joe Bradleys in Petticoat Junction, and she was the daughter of Gordon McRae of Oklahoma. And Sheila McRae, who for a short time played Alice Cramden in the musical color version of The Honeymooners. Um, he, but he, that's not where he started. He started on the Mickey Mouse Club, and he was in the, the Spin and Marty. It was an 11-minute serial shown on the Mickey Mouse Club from 1955 to 1958, and in reruns through 2002. And uh, the youngest of Constantine was originally cast in what was supposed to be the lead, but Marty Markham, the snobbish rich kid, spent summer at Triple R Dudrans. But he told his agent that he didn't want the part. He'd rather sp play Spin, the more athletic, more popular character. Of course, who wouldn't? So anyway, he also went on to do The Hardy Boys and the, a serial called Annette that came from Mickey Mouse Club. Oh, someone passed by. Is our clock going to be doing its, its thing? What happened? Did he take it off? Because I noticed that we haven't given a clock strike. He's been busy on the weekend, <laughs> so he hasn't been able to read. Other, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. The time change. At 18, he appeared in the Disney film The Shaggy Dog with Tommy Kirk mm -hmm. and Annette Funicello. And then he, um, the, the, who was also starred Fred McMurray. Mm -hmm. And then he went off to play Fred McMurray's son, the eldest son, Mike, on My Three Sons. Now, a little bit of trivia I'm going to ask Mr. Drew here. Oh, who was the original crusty old man housekeeper on My Three Sons? Fred McMurray? Huh? Fred, Fred McMurray. No, the right? housekeeper, not the dad. Oh, um. It's, he's the star of one of your favorite TV shows. Oh, I got you. I got him on one. William Frawley. He played Bub. Oh, yeah, William Frawley. And I then, said Fred McMurray. Thing. And, then when, and then when he got... <laughs> and then when uh, William Sorry, Frawley... it's been a long day, y'all. William Frawley had some health issues and had to leave the show. So William Demarest, who was a friend of William Frawley's, took his place as his brother, who was Uncle Charlie. And they both were crusty old... Yeah, because oh, he would, uh, William Frawley would go to the Lucy Show soundstage, because at that time she was making the Lucy Show. Yes, yeah, and it was it was filmed right next to it. Yeah. And that's his last appearance on TV as a cameo season on the Lucy four, Show. Season four, yep. Oh, God, you know the season and everything. Yeah, uh, Lucy and the Countess have a horse guest. Uh, yep, and I bet you she, I, I bet you she made With good Ann and sure Southern, it yeah. wasn't a show that Vivian Vance was going to guest on to. <laughs> so rest in peace, Tim Constantine. All righty, who do we have next? Ah, okay, this band's been on TV and many different things. Dark Shadows fans will know him from as the original Burke uh, Devlin on Dark Shadows. Also, we have, uh, he was also in the movie Lethal, Lethal Weapon. He played a ruthless businessman in Santa Barbara, and he played Greg's father in Dharma and Greg. His name was Mitchell Ryan. Now, Golden Girls fans will remember him from an episode where he was Blanche's boyfriend who was very, very abusive, like verbally abusive towards her. Oh. And he's the one that Dorothy starts to tell him off and he, and he almost hits her. Yeah. He grabs her and she says, episode. you're hurting me. And that's when Blanche oh, sees yeah. the violent streak and she gets rid of him. But he was a, you know, a, a very, very, very busy character actor. And he's also known to General Hospital fans as Frank Stone mob boss so uh, 
He, Mitchell Ryan, rest in peace, dead at 88. Okay, so our next one is a member of a very, very prominent musical family. Sister of a big hit maker, uh, Tracy Braxton. She's died at 50 from cancer. She's the sister of Tony Braxton, who we all know from Breathe Again, Unbreak My Heart. Uh, with a oh god <laughs> please no i don't need that running through my head right now not the ear one oh no 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 i always found crazy uh, um tony braxton's songs to be a little bit of a weepy side for my taste and she was also a star of a reality show braxton family um values which which uh, the cast was the whole all the, all, the whole family was in that and um it looks as though she had a little bit of a weight problem back then because there's a picture of her here and she's a little on the heavy side. And she also appeared. Hmm? Don't say that. Why? We're body positive on this show. Oh, come on. We got, we also truthful on this show, too. But she was also <laughs> actress known for Sinners Wanted. She appeared in There's a Stranger in My House, Shaw, and she recorded. Shame, this. shame, shame. And she also <laughs> recorded. Hey. I apologize for anyone. Hey, I, you know, I didn't say, I didn't make any, I didn't fat shame her. I just said she might have had a little weight problem. She's a little bit heavy. She's a little on the heavy side. And she recorded Broken Things featuring well, two of us sisters. are as well. <laughs> hey, I have a weight problem, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. So last time we saw Tracy, she was joking and laughing with our cameras on the streets. And then this is what TMC What cancer saying. did she die of? Do you know? Huh? What kind of cancer? They don't really say. They just said it's cancer. Oh, esophagus. It's the cancer of the esophagus. Oh, that's it's a bad one. Mm. Bless her family and rest and, in uh, peace. Though. So, yeah. Anyway, rest in peace, baby. I don't care if you have a weight problem. I'm, uh, I'm going to miss you. Anyway, so what do we have next? Um, we are at, ah, okay. Good times, fans, and as probably everybody on the planet has seen, they've seen at least one episode of Good Times, and we're talking about fat shaming. Uh, Johnny Brown, who was Bookman, who Valona used to call Booga, and I'm about to say something that'll probably offend you guys, JJ used to call him Buffalo Butt. He died at the age of 84, as, as said by his daughter, told uh, Sharon Catherine Brown, to. Uh, TMC. Our family is devastated, brokenhearted, devastated, and barely able to breathe. He was a protege of Sammy Davis Jr. because he used to sing. He was a singer too, and he scored. Uh, uh, Sammy got a, him a job on Broadway. From there, his career soared. He starred in Come Back to the Morningside Heights, directed by Sidney Poitier, and Neil Simon took notice of Johnny and put him in the Out of Towners. Uh, Good Times was his breakout role. He joined the show in 1975 in the middle of season two. They always wore fat shame in him, weren't they? But he was such a jerk. But a likable jerk. <laughs> he was kind of, he was somebody you just wanted to, he had kind of a punchable face when you were mad at him, you know. He, the way his personality was. But he racked up a lot of credits. He was on three seasons of Laugh-In, Julia Maud, The Jeffersons, Archie Bunker's Place, Family Matters, Sister, Sister, Moonlighter, and Mari. He is survived by his wife of 61 years, his daughter Sharon, and 
his son, John Jr. Rest in peace, Johnny Brown. Okay, now our next one is definitely somebody that's, this is, this is Hollywood royalty here, William Hurt. The Oscar-winning leading man of the 80s, he died at 71. He's known for the movie Body Heat, which was a rethinking, a reimagining, an 80s update of the film noir and movies like Double Indemnity, where the hapless guy winds up with the hot femme fatale that talks him in, kind of talks him into murder and makes murdering it look like it's his idea, murdering her husband, and then just fucks him over big time. It's played by Kathleen Turner. And you know what? I was saying this on Facebook. I'm going to say it on here. That movie was so smoldering and sexy. And Kathleen Turner was so gorgeous and sexy back then that she could have turned me straight. She but then was, there was William Hurt. I mean, come on. Yeah, well, you wanted to have a three-way with those two. That oh, Lord. Been, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, yes. Because <laughs> William Hurt was really beautiful at that time, too. <laughs> And, uh, well, now we know Barry. Now because know. of his, the cause of his death was prostate <laughs> cancer, and um, I think we could take this minute to tell everyone that, um, it, you know, tell all men out there to have the test cancer because it's um, if he would have found it earlier, he would he could have been yeah. saved because it's very very slow moving. Yeah. They could they could find it in stage. When two they said they start getting checked at fifty, right? Huh? At 50 is when you should start getting checked. Right? Yeah, 50, 45, really. 45, okay. Uh, anyway, so um, he also is famous for he, he, um, The Kiss of the Spider Woman, which he won an Oscar as a gay, so very feminine prisoner in, in prison who falls in love with his, his cellmate that's a revolutionary of some type. Children of a Lesser God, Broadcast News, The Big Chill, and The Accidental Turn, uh, Tourist, where he was reunited with Kathleen Turner as his ex-wife. Um, he, uh, he also um, he's won many, many different awards, including the Cannes Film Festival, uh, Golden Globe, and Tony for, uh, for his work in the play Hallberry, and, um, which was directed by Mike Dickless. And he also, um, the loaded cast included Cynthia Nixon, Sigourney Weaver, who he worked with in the movie called uh, Eyewitness, Harvey Keitel and Jerry Stiller. And uh, oh, wow, this man just, and then, you know, his most, one, some of his most recent things is the series Damages with Glenn Close, who was also him reuniting with someone he had worked with before in the big show. So rest in peace, William Hurt. Now we also have two local New Orleans people that we want to talk about. Those were all our Hollywood and, and, you know, international obits. But we're going to talk about, first of all, a local one is uh, Sidney Bestoff, who was the exec, a longtime executive at K&B Drugs here in New Orleans. He died, and he was an executive and patron of the arts. He died at 94. He actually, um, he actually started the sculpture garden in our city yeah. park. And I've actually been a couple, have you been... Yes, I've been I as been. well. You have you got to go, Drew? Oh, we'll have to take it one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta go. You gotta go. And they also they he's donated a lot of money before that. Even the garden, he was donating money to the the Museum of Art, the New Orleans Museum of Art, as well. And he, and he was uh, the third generation to run Katzenbestoff Ltd. Mm -hmm. 
which was called K&B Drugstores. Uh, you're a little young to remember K&B Drugstores, aren't, aren't you? Did they have them? Were you, were you, were you? I think they were getting rid of them by the time he came back. Yeah. I grew up with them. In 1998, they, they uh, were bought out by Rite Aid. Now, I'm going to tell you something about the K&B Drugstore. Everything in the store was purple. The yes. cash registers yes. were purple. I remember that. The, the, the ladies wore purple smocks. Yep, yep. The men wore purple vests. Uh, they even sold pens that wrote in purple. And that particular shade of purple, we got it, it got to be known as K and B purple. K&B and they purple. had a soda fountain when I was a kid. You might you, you might not remember the soda. I think they were gone by the time you came. I about. think the soda fountains were gone. But they had the soda fountain, and what they used to do because it was a, a, a K and B drugstore on St. Charles and Louisiana where I used to go to the doctor. And if I had a fever or something after the doctor, my dad would take me to K and B for a chocolate malt. And the malt would come in a big, in the, they would take a big one of those big tin cups. They would make the malt in, and they had one of those really fancy glasses. They would pour it in with a scoop of ice cream and whipped cream, and they would give you that malt, and then they'd give you the leftovers. They'd put it right next to you, and this whole thing, I think it cost something like 75 cents. Boy, I am sitting like one of these old people. So I never, my eight-year-old self could never drink that whole malt, so my dad would finish it. My mom remembers all that. I think my mom was sad. My mom was sad when the uh, K and B, our local K and B, closed. Growing up, I mean, she was so sad because she used to allow us to go get each our own like quart, half gallon thing of the ice cream. You know, oh, the ice cream, that that ice, the, they had the best ice the cream. The best ice cream. They came in the little boxes with the saran wrap. <laughs> yes, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And they had they, they were the first ones that had the Creole cream cheese flavor. Oh yeah. And they had the tutti frutti, which was really basically. Gummy candies inside of a um and the best and cream. the best Neapolitan of any yes still to this day I have not found a Neapolitan as good as the K and B Neapolitan. Well, when Rite Aid took them over, they said they were going to continue to sell the ice cream. They did it for like a few months and then they stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can't trust anybody in corporate. But anyway, um, as ninety four years old, uh, rest in peace, Sydney Bestoff. All right, our next one is, oops, wrong screen, wrong screen, here he is. This is a French Quarter musician and character. The French Quarter is losing all its really cool characters, aren't they? We don't have no more Ruthie the Duck Lady or, uh, or the Bee Lady. Oh, jeez, I, I don't want to go on. <laughs> I don't want to go on without what happened. I think I told you the bee, my Bee Lady yeah. story. Well, let, let's talk let's about, talk who, about who Grandpa first. Yeah, we don't want to go out on any kind of tangent or anything. Uh, Grandpa Elliot, he was a well-known New Orleans musician yeah. who could regularly be seen in the signature blue overalls, red shirt, and floppy hat. Yep. And I'm going to post a picture of him on... Uh, Definitely. I got the picture. I'm going to post a picture of him on on Twitter and uh, probably on Instagram, too. I don't do enough with that Instagram account. Uh, he... he um, no, well, and, and he has died at the age of 77. And I thought he was older than that. Me, too. He, he so that means like back in the the 80s early 80s when we used to see him around he was only in his 40s I know. and he looked like he was 60 I thought he was about 100 years old so he checked into the hospital a month ago due to a skin infection that spread into the bloodstream and then uh, he passed away from the infection on early Tuesday morning his son said I know my father would want me to reach out to people that he loves so much thank you all of you on behalf of Grandpa Elliot Small, 
And he was lovingly known by the French court. He was called Grandpa Elliot by all the French court residents and was born in New Orleans, spent most of his life here except for a brief stretch in New York City when he was a child. Kind of like me with my brief stretch in New Jersey, but I was an adult. And he picked up a harmonica when he was young, played and sang the French, sang in, in the French Quarter for close to 70 years. He had his regular spot on Toulouse and Royal. I remember when my tours would pass and yep. he'd wave at us. He even knew me by name. He was, hey, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I used to talk to him like that. And he, uh, he used to sing a rendition of Stand By Me, which featured st uh, street musicians from around the world. And there's a video for the song that on YouTube if you want to hear it. Ah, oh, man, this is a real loss for our city, you know that? Okay, Grandpa, we miss you, even though I'm calling you Grandpa, and even though you're only like 12 years older than me. Uh, rest in peace, and that is it for the obit. So what time is it now? <laughs> you know what time it is. It's horoscope time. It's I... horoscope time. It's okay. I'll shut up. I guess if y'all are eating, you might want to put your food down because I went real gross this oh, week. Oh, we're going to be gross. In honor of Fresh and in honor of Yellow Jackets. Oh. In honor of all those things. Yes, we going. This week, the horoscopes are taking you to the Cannibal Bistro. And oh. we're letting you. And we're going to be either serving you or serving you. Oh. So you're either. Eating what it is, or you're going to be in what's being served. That is, uh, that is totally. So take it whichever way you want. <laughs> oh, God. Starting it right off, we got Aries. That's our lovely Shaughnessy who can't be with us uh, this evening. But you know she's listening. But we love her. And what would you be served? What or served it? as? Ugh. Oculus Bisque. Because who like some eyeballs rolling around in a nice creamy soup? Oh, my God. I mean, I'm, I've been wanting to lose weight. I think this will do it. <laughs> Hold on. That's just the first one. You all right, Drew? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did that wake you up? Did that wake you up? Did that disturb you? Yes. So next we have Taurus. Sorry, I've been up since 530, y'all. Oh. Oh. <laughs> that makes me. That, that hurts. Oh. 530. Oh, no. Yeah. That's why I'm glad we would get we were able to get an early start. Oh, let's, let's get this done. Let me shut up. Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so next we have Taurus. That's your that's your favorite singer. What? Cher. Oh, two of my favorite singers. Cher and Barbara. Barbara, too. Well, they're both being served as roasted leg with mint jelly. Though they both got hot legs too, they, you know, yeah. this thing, they both. They, so it'll work. It'll they work. Both, yeah. They both. They both have legs. They, that that those both them women have legs go all the way up to their ears. <laughs> <laughs> Next we got Gemini. Gemini. Your good old Gemini. Is that our Roz? I thought you said he oh, wasn't our Roz. Our ex Roz. Yeah. Well, Gemini is being served as jambalaya with andouille sausage. Ew. <laughs> Jambalaya, the crawfish pie, the peeled gumbo. Son of a gun, we'll have some fun on the island. Right, like there's only one person in this group that can actually sing. <laughs> well, we're probably going to be singing on this next one, too. Talking about cancer, that's you. Oh, man. You're going to be served as a puff pastry pot pie. 
Oh. With the price of meat, what it is when you get it. Oh, I'm seeing. Oh, good, good you got, got it. Sweetie Tide Pie. Yeah. Oh, God. I, one, of the, <laughs> one of the podcasts I listen to is about <laughs> Albert Fish. You know who he is? They do it. They cover an Albert Fish. Oh, okay. I don't know who Albert Fish is. Uh, huh? Oh. <laughs> Albert Fish is one, is this cannibal child killer. And. He wrote a letter to one of the children he killed's mother talking about how with the price of meat, the eating children is economical. Well, well, I mean, I don't know. <sighs> Some weird stuff might be I kind of wanted to cover with him, the price of meat, so what sure it is now. now, it might be getting weird with all this inflation. Who knows what might start happening? I will become vegan first. Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand that, but it, it is getting it's getting kind of serious out there with the meat prices. Talking about that, let's move along to Leo. <laughs> oh, Curtis. Yeah. Ooh, I don't know. But talking about Curtis, I don't know if people really want to eat this up, up from a Leo. Leos are being served as a toe bouillabaisse. Toe. toe like a toe? Like toes, yes. Have toes from the feet. Yes, have I know. Have you seen them? I know. Have that's, you seen them feet? That'll be really gamey. That's all I'm going to say. No. That's going to be a gamey taste. No, 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 no. Very no, fungal. No, no, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's, oh that, <laughs> that's a hard no. If the bouillabaisse is green, you that might want to rethink eating it. Okay, that's all I'm saying. I'm not real crazy about feet to start off with, but those are the worst. Yeah. Burgo. Mm-hmm. That's you. That's you. Guess what you're being served as? Liver pate. Mm. I thought that was you with the fatty liver. Well, no, I had to put something funny in oh. just <laughs> for the remember everything I do. It sticks to the astrology. Well, I have week. stomach okay. issues, so no, so do I. So perfect. The liver pate. But my liver, they said it's good. They checked it, so. Well, maybe you have some good pate anyway. Yeah, last time I was checked, mine's good too. Everything was good, but let's keep on hitting these stomach issues. So. Yeah, that's how I am. Anyway. Well, we'll make sure there's some fava beans and some food. Okay. Oh, wait, was it? Yeah. I think it was liver pate he was serving. Or was he serving something else? What was he serving? Fava beans and Chianti with, with the, the liver pate. With the, the census taker's liver. Yeah, with the census taker's yeah. liver, right. Moving along to Libra. Um, You're being served as the dish of deviled kidneys. Ooh. Some good offal meat. Deviled kidneys? Deviled kidneys, yeah. Well, deviled, isn't it like they take the insides of something and chop it up and put it on the outer shell? Like deviled (laughs) eggs? Oh. I told y'all, we're going to If y'all are still eating your dinner at this, this point, has got to be the, I'm surprised if you're still being able to keep it down. This is the gnarliest <laughs> horoscopes you've ever done. I did it. I had to go there. I realized I had planned to do this last year, and for some reason it didn't line up, and I was like, wait a minute. Let me find it. was too gnarly. I'll get back to it another time, which I'm glad I did, because it came out perfect this time. Moving along to Scorpio, that's that's me. We're, we're, we, we probably get the most exotic dish. We get to be... Either served or, or served or are served as grilled penis with kimchi. I don't want to eat a grilled a penis. Good, a good Korean dish. Yeah. Oh no 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 no. <laughs> Would you show you pretend to be on a sausage or something? No, that's actually no. The, no, even though we're talking about humans here, actually it's really they do. 
actually it's a delicacy Korea grilled bull penis. What kind of penis? Grilled bull penis is is a bull. Bull. Oh bull. Bull. Yeah. Oh. Oh, he had some kind of notification. But uh yeah, really they do serve actual bull penis, but no, this is human penis with kimchi. Oh. Because you might need that extra spice for it to go down. Mm. <laughs> Talking about things going down, let's talk about Sagittarius. My Taylor man. Swift. Oh. And, oh, Taylor Swift and my man. They're being served as a nice catchatory with garlic parmesan potatoes. Catchatory. Oh, and that's, that's Jim like chicken catchatory, but it's human catchatory. Oh, okay. Jim catchatory. Mm. I don't even know. They use that. They use those. Is. They use a good thigh that? meat. Actually, you know, actually Taylor has nice thighs, doesn't she? She does. Yeah. Yeah, but my man I'll, has some nice thighs. Yeah, too. you know what I always wanted to tell you about your man's mustache? It reminds me of the old pink mustache from Lyft. You remember the big mustache that used to be on the front of the cars? I like my oh, man's mustache. I like my man's mustache. <laughs> I guess if we serving him up, we might save the mustache and mm. frame it, you know, so. <laughs> All right, Capricorn. That's stuff like your. That's Lance. That's Lance. He's being served. <laughs> Ooh, this is scary. A bone marrow and testicle stew. Oh yeah, he probably liked that. Well, he's only bone. He's bones and skin anyway. Yeah. So bone marrow is all he's got. And testicles yeah. too. He probably likes. No, he's a butt man. No, but it's his testicles going in the stew. Oh, uh, well, that ain't <laughs> much. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, that's on air now. I can't edit that out. He never <laughs> listens, thanks God. You better hold Watch this be the one episode. Oh, let me get and see what Boo Bear is You better hold on. <laughs> well, moving right along, we got Aquarius. We do quite a few Aquariuses, actually, don't we? Got a couple of dedicated listeners out there. Yeah, well, we have dedicated listeners of all sorts. Yes. So, for those Aquariuses, y'all are being served as... Red wine braised neck. <laughs> at first, it's you gotta like braise that neck though. At you. first, it's not like you said y'all are being served ass. <laughs> no red wine, red wine braised neck. Oh, okay. And last but never least, for all the shenanigans they've been up to, Pisces is going to be served as heart tartar. Nice raw. Do you know up. how tough that is? They've been chewing on that forever. Eh, that's that's the toughest muscle it's, in in any body. But, but it's mammal. a Pisces heart. I don't think it's going to be that chewy. Unless you put it in a blender. Mm, I guess. Oh, you're getting <laughs> the little meat grinder that you make uh, hamburger out of. Carol Baskins. <laughs> you remember the um the the um. Phoebe Snow song about the cow goes moo 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 and the farmer comes and hits on the head and that's how we get a hamburger. I've never heard that before. It was on Friends. Friends? Oh. It's uh, Lisa Kudrow's Phoebe sings that to the kids at the school. Oh. Well, enjoy being served at the Cannibal Bistro. That was our horoscopes for this week. Oh, Lord. Well, you know what? After that, we need a break. I feel like it was like delicious dishes on the air. Yeah, <laughs> for Stewart is not going to have anything to do with them recipes. We need a little, we're going to take a little commercial break, and we will be right back. Hi, Creepsters. This is Barry Marino. I'm here to talk about the creepiest TV show that 
ever existed. You guys love that TV show, Tales from the Crypt? (laughs) What kind of creepster would you be if you didn't? Well, have I got a podcast for you. It's called the Good Evening Kitties Podcast. They review every Tales from the Crypt episode and movie with bonus horror movie reviews for fun, including that 1972 Tales from the Crypt movie from Hammer Films. You remember that one where Joan Collins is being stalked by that maniac in the Santa suit and she can't call the cops because she just offed her husband? (laughs) Y'all ever wonder if that was Linda Evans behind that mask, behind that Santa mask? (laughs) The Good Evening Kitties podcast you can follow on Twitter at G-E-K Podcast, and find episodes on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and more. Alrighty, Creepsers, we are back. And uh, this week, the case I'm going to uh, I'm gonna um, cover is really rather, it's rather disturbing, and it's really, uh, I, I, you will know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to go right into it. Get into it. Yeah. So, um, okay. We're going to start on May 22nd, 2010. Stephen Herr hadn't heard from his son, Sam. His son, Sam, and he were very close. Sam was very close with his family. And his mother was making some of his favorite recipes, and he was supposed to spend the weekend there, and he never showed mm. up. And they called him, and he wasn't answering his phone. So, um, Stephen got a little bit... Well, you know, a little, a, a little suspicious, and he went to the house, and no answer. Mm-hmm. See, he had a, a, a key of his own. He goes in, and he goes into the bedroom. He looks around. Sam's not around. He goes into the bedroom, and he sees the body of a young woman slumped over. It's obvious that she's deceased. There's a gunshot to her head. And on her jacket is written... It's written, fuck you, all yours. And her pants are pulled down to her, to her, her, to the, like the middle of her thighs, and she slumped over the bed. So it looks like she was raped and murdered in his son's house. And he uh, can't understand what, you know, he says, well, this isn't like Sam at all. So, you know, Sam, Sam was known as a really nice guy. He was an Afghan veteran. He had, you know, he, he, he had a lot of friends. He loved his family. He loved his, mm. his, you know, and it wasn't like him at all. And so um, he calls the police and the police come. And of course, their first suspect, they can't find Sam anywhere. Well, yeah. Sam's cell phone is gone, but they find the, um, they find the, the girl's purse and she's a Japanese girl by the name of Julie Kupiachi. And uh, Julie was a good friend to Sam's and she was also his tutor at, at the community college where they were going. So um, Sam's the prime suspect that they're looking all over. There's his wallet and his cell phone's missing. And they find on, on Julie's cell phone, they find strange messages of Sam telling her to come over and no sex. So he's, he's so, so uh, you know, Stephen is just, he's, he's, he's him. He, he just, he, he's, he's, he's flabbergasted. He doesn't know what's going on. Mm. So anyway... They start looking for Sam. They're not finding any leads. They're looking, they're looking. And Stephen is very suspicious. He, he, doesn't, he, he thinks there's something else going on. 
So let me tell you a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll tell you a little bit about Sam before I tell you what happened. Sam, he was born May 29th, 1983, to Steve and Raquel Hare. And um, he was an Afghan veteran. And when he was, when he was a teenager, he got involved in a murder. He had driven a friend of his where there was a rival gang waiting to ambush him. And they thought that Sam was was in on it, and he went to trial and everything, and was acquitted. Oh. That's another reason why the people were suspicious of, the, of him murdering Julie. And uh, but, but so Sam met Julie at the uh, at the Orange Coast College. They were uh, they were from Orange County, California, and she uh, she tutored him in a certain subject that he I forget what the subject was that he didn't uh, he didn't really understand. She was his tutor. And they became good friends. And they had a lot of mutual friends. So Sam moved into these apartments where he met a young man by the name of Daniel Wozniak, who was a community theater actor. And they became good friends. And he used to go to, to um, a lot of Daniel's shows. And uh, Daniel did a show at the theater on, on the base. He used to have a community theater. And Sam got yeah. him in on that. Sam got him in, you know, he, he hooked him up with all that. So, um, now we're going to get back to the murder part. Okay, so, so, so Steve Harris just do, just searching all kinds of things. And he, has, he gets access to Sam's bank account and finds that there are withdrawals being made out of, of $400 every day since this happened a few days mm. ago. So he goes. He tells the police. The police, of course, seem to think Sam's doing it because you know he had he was he was um, accused of being involved in a murder before, and they, right. you know, I mean, there, there's no other suspects. So they went to uh, so they went to the bank branch, and you know how they take a picture at the ATM and the picture yeah. was a teenage boy. They, nobody knew who he was, and it turns out that, that his name was Wesley Freelich, and he was also an actor. So they kind of start watching Wesley, and they they, they caught him because Sam's debit card was used to buy pizza at a place called Echo's Pizza in um, in uh, Orange County. So they go and they raid the house, and they pick up they pick up Wesley. Well, Wesley is frightened. He don't know he he's he's not. He says all he knows is that he was given that card by a friend of his. To take money, unpaid to take money out, and they said, "What's the guy's name?" They said, "Daniel Wozniak." Hmm. So Daniel was, so so they started um, looking at Daniel Wozniak, and Daniel Wozniak was born on. Let me get this here. He was born on March twenty third, nineteen eighty four, and uh, he was very he was very much a. a a community theater actor. He was he was very very re renowned locally, and they thought that a man with his talent, why didn't he go? He was right near Hollywood. Why didn't he just go to L.A. and start working there as a professional actor? But he loved being in the community theater, and you know I think some people just like to be a big fish in a small pond. See, he was a star in his town. He, he actually he said March twenty third. Yeah, nineteen eighty four. Nineteen eighty four. Aries Rat. Very, very ambitious, but like you said, I think you're exactly right in wanting to be the big fish in the small pond. So he, they'd start looking into his life and his employment, and he had a few jobs as a sales, uh, you know, in sales that he he never could hold a job. 
He never really had a job. All he wanted to do was act. Well, you've been. Have you done community theater before? I have. Not no, not community. Theater. I have done community theater, and community theater doesn't pay fucking jack shit. Let me tell you. You may. I, I, and dinner theater too, doesn't pay anything. You know. Um, and he and during this time, the nineteen, uh, the early twenty tens and the nineteen nineties was when the storefront theater movement they called it in the black box theater, with the small community theaters with a basic stage. And one of the things he was acting in was Nine. Now, one of his favorite shows to do was The Music Man. He loved play. He considered himself Professor Harold Hill. Mm. What was Professor Harold Hill? You know that show? He was a con man. Mm. So Daniel had no money in the bank of his own. And he was engaged to a young woman by the name of Rachel Muffet. And uh, they would get married. And... He didn't have any money for his wedding. Mm. So they start looking at Daniel Wozniak more and more and more. And they started saying, you know, thinking that, okay, they got their guy here, but where's Sam? So they go to the, uh, he's having his bachelor party. They go to his bachelor party. He says, uh, well, can you wait until my bachelor party's over? They said, no, murder investigations don't wait for anybody. You're coming with us. He, said, he told all the guys about you. Oh, I'll be right back. This is only going to take a minute. He was that. He was. He was that narcissistic to where he thought that he was going to just tell them what his lies, and they were going to believe him right away. Mm. Well, they got him in the corner. You should see some of the um, the videos of his interrogation. First, he said he didn't know anything about it. Then he said Sam called him and he saw Julie's body and he helped Sam escape and he gave the kid the card. Because Sam was taking cash. They said, well, why would Sam have to take, have to get somebody else to take money out of his own account in small increments like that? Why would Sam do that? So then, oh, God, he was so cocky with the cops. Is that what you want to hear? Okay, all right. Is that what you want to hear? I was just watching it today. And so finally, he admits what really happened. He was. It, it seems that Sam, when he was in, when he was in Afghanistan, you know, when they were in the army, they keep getting paid, but they don't have any, really have to spend any money because they're given their food, and their lodging and everything, and they don't really have to buy anything. So the money piles up, and by the time they come home, they can have like uh, almost a hundred thousand dollars in the bank because they never spend anything. And uh, Sam had sixty thousand dollars in the bank. And he went with they, he and Sam were going somewhere together to eat dinner or something, and he looked at Sam doing his his pin number, and memorized it. You see, this mm. is an actor; he can memorize lines, he can memorize monologues. So memorizing four numbers was no problem for him. Right. So then he, um, so he got Sam to go to the theater on base. Telling him he helped, had to help him move some stuff. Sam comes up there to help him. And when Sam's bending over to pick up a box, he shoots him in the head. He leaves the body in, in the attic in the theater, goes downstairs and does his performance at nine. Then he, after the performance, he goes to Sam's place, texts Julie with those texts, please help me come. Julie's thinking she's coming to help Sam. She goes over there. He tells her to look at some stain on the bed and shoots her in the head twice. And this is how he got it. They, they got him. Nobody had never 
released to the public that Julie was shot twice in the so head. So the only point for killing Julie basically was, was to blame it to on blame Sam. Oh. And this is horrible every th- which way. This is the way he got this is how they got him. Yeah. Only the police knew she was shot twice because she was shot twice in in the same hole. She only had one bullet hole. And he comes and he mentions that two oh I didn't do those two gunshots. Wow. So that's how they got him. So finally he just admits everything. Then he tries to take it back. Then he tries to say Sam's still alive and he helped Sam uh, cover up Julie's murder. Then he tries to uh, say, say he didn't have anything to do with it. He keeps changing his story, but they got him. Now, Rachel, his girlfriend, she lied to the police and said that she saw the night of the murder, she saw Sam and and Daniel with some tall guy because he also tried to say there was another guy that killed both of them and he was afraid for his life so that's why he didn't say anything but she didn't see it she lied for him so the police started suspecting her too she winds up on Dr. Phil with Sam's father and Dr. Phil and I watched her Dr. Phil clips and it's just so obvious that she knew something and Dr. Phil tells her he says you belong in jail and he asks Steve Hare he says do you think this young lady belongs in jail he said yes she does and so um so after that they have they have they have Daniel in custody and one thing after another happens where they can't get they can't put him on trial you know, one one of them, one of the detectives got killed in the car wreck, and then another one of the detectives, his daughter got killed in the car accident. And one thing after another is happening. It took five years to put him on trial. And the whole time, Stephen Harris going, "What the fuck is going on here? My son was murdered. This and guy should been on, and, they and they, it, we yeah. already know." So he, of course, he pled not guilty. He went on trial. Trial was a disaster for him. Played not guilty on what? Maybe reason of insanity, but then even then it was. Oh, like, it was all kinds of things. He was trying to prove prove that he wasn't there. He was trying to say he didn't do it. All kinds of different hell? stories he changed. And one of the uh, police officers says, "You're an actor, but not a very good one." <laughs> <laughs> and that probably hurt him more than anything else. Wow. So anyway, um, it took five years to get him on trial. Finally, he goes on trial. And the fool is convicted of first two counts of first degree murder, and what got him was when he went on, his cocky attitude when he got on trial, when he went on the stand, and uh, so the death penalty in California is only there for special, con- uh, particularly heinous crimes, with a premeditation like this one. The only other death row case on in California right now is a man who shot up a beauty salon where his ex-wife worked in order to kill her and he killed like 15 other innocent people and so um, they also brought you they also brought Rachel to trial as an accessory and she was charged with felony counts of accessory after the fact well, yeah. and on September 12 2018 she was convicted of two of those counts with a mass maximum public sentence of 44 months 
And then she on, on uh, November 8th, 2018, she was sentenced to 32 months, and she was released in 2019. So I think, well, she probably got what she deserved there. I mean, that's all they can do on an accessory. I mean, she yeah. didn't actually do the murder. She knew what happened, and she didn't well, turn and it's them good. in. Well, it's good that they at much. least got her on that. They, they did But did, she s- did get, you know, you, you can't. And this guy, if you ever see him, you know, you, you got to watch some of these, these, these uh, YouTube videos of him. He's so fucking cocky. So what was his full sentence? His full sentence is death. So he will be... He's on death row. Now, and that's California, though. Are they still going forward with that? They're going to go... They tried to abolish the death penalty, and they did a mef- uh, referendum. Because I thought recently they did that. Yeah, but they didn't it passed. The death penalty still... <laughs> he's still on okay, death row. Okay, so he is still active. Yeah, he, no, okay, he's on death to, row. I just wanted to get the clarification He's on. He's on, on, uh, okay. he's on uh, lethal injection death row. Okay. Now, um... Although I wanted to say something, I have some uh, friends, you know, I was very involved in the local theater here, just like Daniel Wozniak was in his town. And I look back at some old Facebook posts, and there were some friends of mine that were saying about how they now, you know, they, they, you know, they, they have to make a point that he was a community theater actor, and they felt as though it made all actors look bad. And I'm trying to tell everybody, this garbage guy... This garbage person does not represent the theater community. No. People in the theater community, these people, every one of their, their um, is a labor of love. Every one of their projects right. is a labor of love. They don't get paid a lot for it, and they get very, very limited glory because they're only known in so, in, by, by a few people around. But you can't tell the story without mentioning that because the scene of the crime, one of the scenes of the crime or where the body was put was in a community theater. Now, oh, yeah, I, but I didn't tell you what he did with Daniel, with with, C, with Sam's body. Well, you see, he was in the attics. No. Wait. He took, he, he dismembered the body. He cut off Sam's head. Wait, what was found in the attic then? What was found in the attic was just his torso. Oh, just the torso. Just the torso. Okay. Well, the torso. One of the, one of the legs was cut off, and um, one of the legs was cut off, and one and his head was missing, and he had a tattoo, "Mom and Dad Forever" on his on his chest because he wanted to make sure he didn't want anybody to know who it was, whose body they were finding, and he took the other parts and he put them in the park. What park was that? Let's see. I think I have it on my notes. Well, it was probably here. Yeah, Long, Long Beach is where he was from. Um, this is the, the the Wikipedia page is very very limited in what they're saying, but um, he was uh, he, there's a the park in Long Beach. He buried the head and the other parts, and the you know the cadaver dogs found it, and they you know they tried to reassemble his body so he could be buried. You know he'd have the military funeral right. type of thing he wanted, but um. How evil is this? There is so much that's even... I'm trying to understand some things here. Like, okay, I understand the case. I understand, you know, all that part on that. I I just want to look at the actual murder here for a moment. Psychologically, there's a lot that's not adding up to me. Because, and I'll tell you why. Were this a thing of just killing him... And killing the friend and then framing on him, that could have been easily done with gunshots, fine enough, 
you know, whatever, do that, and that's it. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, right? Yeah. Like, very easy, very simple kind of murder, not overly thought. Both the carving into her and the drama of that and the raping, possibly, of her, and then the dismembering of Sam. Julie was her name, right? Julie, Julie, Julie. yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. And then Sam, it's just... To me, that, that it's it's a little too psychopathically, like extremely personal. Like, so one of two things are happening: either there was extremely personal issue with Sam himself, like that that, that Daniel had, mm-hmm. or there was a projection, an extreme personal projection. And that seems like, I don't know, did, did you find any answer as to that? I, uh, either way, I, I either listened direction. To, I listened to an audio book called I Killed For You, which uh, went pretty much in depth on a lot of the things. And his, he was, he, he was a toxic narcissist. Oh, I get the narcissism, I get that. And his idea was he that money was in that man's account, and that money didn't belong in, in Sam's account. That money belonged in his pocket. See, a narcissist, they think your girlfriend belongs in my bed, your boyfriend belongs in my bed, your money belongs in my pocket. That's how that that's how a narcissist works. And they they um, he saw that he saw that Sam had Sam mentioned to him that he had that sixty thousand dollars, and he was not going to stop. He was going he was going to get that money. Cause he was going on, cause his wedding was coming up, and his honeymoon was coming up, and he wanted to go on a cruise. It was what Daniel wanted, and he didn't care about what anybody else had. There was, I don't know if there was a little bit of jealousy there because uh, Sam was so well liked. Well, and had a good there's family. Definitely, there's definitely some form of jealousy and and but, envy and but, all that. I get according, that. According to what I've read and all the research I've done on this case, it seems like it was all because he thought that that man's money belonged to him. And I get that. I get that. But it's still, well, it's so psychopathic on the method of how he yeah, killed and and it was his remember, way of covering things up. That like like with the. The pulling her pants down. He didn't rape her. He actually just pulled her pants down and writing the stuff on her. Oh, so he just wrote. He made it look like a rape. He made. He was trying to make it look like a rape. He was trying to make it look like Sam did it. But that's just. And and the text that he wrote. uh, I need you to come over. No sex. And she answered, "Oh, come on, Sam. We like brother and sister. Of course, there's not going to be any sex." He was trying to make it look like Sam came over and maybe he was obsessed with Julie, and killed her. And she and then uh, and. I mean, okay, so the, so on the factor of Julie, I might be able to say that, that the psychosis of narcissism with Daniel was so bad, he wanted to look, he wanted it, and this does show that I guess he wanted it to look because, I mean, maybe he wanted it to look like Sam had a PTSD episode or something. Exactly, exactly. I can kind of get that, okay. But I still go back then, I'm still trying, I mean, okay, I know we got a kind of roundabout way got there. To, from what you were saying, but I'm still hooked on the dismemberment of the dismemberment was meant to a, he couldn't be identified because he had tattoos that would have identified who he was, and that was his reason for the dismemberment. That was the reason of cutting his head so they couldn't see his face, taking yeah. off his hands and his feet so they couldn't do any footprints, and cutting off one of his legs so so they couldn't see a tattoo that was. 
But it's so weird, though, for all the narcissism and for the ideas that the guy was trying to do this or that. I guess he was really a bad actor and really sloppy. It, he was sloppy. He was stupid. It was his stupidity <laughs> that got me. him caught. That's okay. <laughs> Take two. Sip on a little water there. It was his stupidity that got him caught. He was so narcissistic. He thought he was above. He was smarter than the cops. He thought he was smarter than anybody else. And he was so. He had such a flair for the dramatic. That's why he created a scenario. In his mind, he created this, Sam is jealous, is in, really in love with Julie, and he's jealous because he wanted that man's money. That was his goal. He wanted, for $60,000. Which then leads me to the only reason he would have went this far off the rails. We see people who do I go heinous back, things. I go back to guess who I go back to? Rachel. Rachel must have been putting... He was already a psychopath. She she was probably... And she must have been putting pressure on him. She was putting pressure on him. She wanted a big wedding. She wanted this, and it was all... that They didn't have money, because the band... She was probably one of those women, one of those bitches that's like, but do you love me? Yeah. We're going to make it some money And so then he had to prove himself in the most psychotic way possible. And he's just... And and she is... um, If you watch her, Dr. Phil... On Doctor Phil, she is just. I feel like I've seen this before. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, I think I've seen her. Yeah, yeah, she's she's um, and Doctor Phil tells her that he he thinks she was in on it, and so does Sam's father, who's also on it. She has uh, the nerve to go on TV with the dad. Oh yeah, she's and this a, and she's a whole other level. This of man, this man was not stopping. He picked if he wanted to kill somebody, he picked the wrong one. What do you call her? Like, whereas he's a narcissist, she's like a um. She's she's good. She's a form of narcissism also. She's um, there's something else weirder about her. She's, she's not a, a borderline. I wouldn't no. call her that. Um, there's a name for for what she is. He's a toxic narcissist. I mean, I really call a bitch, but you know. <laughs> he's a toxic mar- narcissist. He yeah. just um, yeah, you're right. He she may have been pressuring him. That's that's something that she's never going to admit to it, but she may have been pressuring him to. Find money. I don't think she thought he would commit murder, but she they wanted she wanted a cruise for her honeymoon. Well, she wanted a big wedding that cost about sixty grand, which is what he would have needed. Well, she, I don't know. You say when she thought he wouldn't have done something, but it kind of seems like she did. Mm, well, she probably knew about it after, and she was going to try to cover it. But I I don't think that she told him to go out and kill somebody. I don't believe that, but I do believe. She knew about it, and she helped. She wanted to help him cover it. She claims that she's horrified by it, and oh, I'm so really? sorry for what happened to to Julie's family, and what happened to Sam, and all these other things. Because he met Sam when Sam moved into the building, and they used to have little barbecues at the pool, and he invited Sam to a barbecue. Now, another good show about this that I watched is uh, on. It's on Peacock. And it's a, you know, iced tea show, ice cold, in ice cold yeah. blood. It's the first episode of that series. Hmm. And they do, they go really, for, for, you know, for like just a 45 minute show, they go pretty much in depth, really, really well with what happened. I also watched, I believe it was a 2020 episode. And, uh, and I listened to that uh, audio book, the true crime book, I, I Killed for You. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things I just have to chalk it up to psychosis. There's just no way to, to. It's greed. I mean, even if you, no, but even if you threw in the greed and everything else and the narcissism, 
there's still a level of psychosis that though I'm saying yeah those factors are there but the psychosis is so bad that I mean that's the only way to explain I always say this this is a motto I have I know about people three things make people go crazy dick pussy and money (laughs) I know people that uh, normally very 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 um, normal good people that they meet the wrong guy or the wrong girl and they go crazy and you can't tell them anything you you know they, they could you could show them proof of what this what these this person's doing and they not they are gonna believe it and the person will ask them an excuse and give an excuse and they'll believe the flimsiest excuses now uh maybe that's what it was with him but a lot of the, uh, the prosecutors and the detectives said that they believe that Daniel Wozniak was so narcissistic and he was a sociopath. He had, oh, and he had to be he a, had a psychopath. Whichever one. Either had, one, yeah. Because he, he showed no remorse. During We'd have to have known his upbringing more to know what was. He, he showed no remorse during the entire, um, the entire trial. He, you know, he, and, and if you watch his interrogations, get on YouTube. Oh, no. You could see him on the on the iced tea thing. Watch that tonight in ice cold blood. Everybody out there, you watch that, and you can actually see him the real footage of the real him being interrogated. And there's one point where he goes, "Okay, okay, is this what you want to hear?" Now, can I get back to my? And then he tried to get the. Cops. So it's like he's still on stage. Yeah, he's on stage all the time. He tried to get the cops to put off his interrogation till after his wedding and honeymoon. They said, we don't put off a murder investigation for a wedding and a honeymoon. When can I get back to my bachelor party? That's all he was, he, he was talking about. It's, it's flabbergasting how evil this is. This man is right up there with Gizek and Sam Corey, you know, the unholy matrimony killers. He's right there in that category, taking the person, an innocent person that's never done him anything, who's... Just for money. This is even, but this is even worse. This is like, in my mind, this is. Worse. I mean, that was bad. That was really bad when we did, did that. But in this level, it's just at a whole. Well, other... those guys compartmentalized. Uh, they didn't know the girl. They didn't see her as a human being. She was a stranger. But the, this guy, this was his friend. This was somebody he he used to hang out with. Yeah. This was somebody he him and Rachel would go to dinner with. Yeah. And Julie too was his friend. Yeah. And Julie was and Julie was developing the friendship with Rachel, Rachel where they go shopping together. And, and it's the fact that Julie is just treated like collateral damage. Yeah. That's like it's like this like just I hate it. Yeah, care. why? I mean it's just like it's this man, I get the narcissism, but this is so ridiculous. This, this is, man uh and and like I said, he was talented enough to he was talented enough to go to you know, just a hundred miles and audition for movies and and stage stuff in L.A. But he 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 stayed there in Orange County in Long Beach because he wanted to be the big fish in a small pond. He didn't want to be just another working actor somewhere. He didn't care that he didn't make any money. He wanted the glory and the fame. 
I think also some of it was, and you're right, the big, the big fish in the small pond also shows he probably could control it more. You get to Hollywood, you don't have as much control. Yeah. And I think he liked having the control. But most actors that want to have a career in that... Want to go as far as Because I know that's the difference between working in a small community theater, which really... I don't want to say, I hope I don't upset any by any you know local actors by saying this, but local community theater is rather ego-driven. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are up there for the attention. Yeah. And where, when I lived in New Jersey and went on auditions as a working actor, it's a job. It's not, um, it's not something to give you glory. It's a job. It's to put food on the table. And it's a big, big difference. And he didn't want to work. When it became work, he didn't want to do it anymore. Right. It was fun when he was doing it on stage, you know, in, in a little and he's probably was, back block, And he was probably being theaters. allowed a lot more freedom of what he wanted to do on that stage where he wouldn't have that freedom. Like you're saying, it would be more work. Yeah, yeah. And he it. had, you know, and, and he probably was popular. In community theater, it's a lot of, it, it's, it's hard, easy to find very talented females because there's such a small role smaller roles for women in every part of entertainment but males are unicorns really talented males that want to work in community theater are unicorns because they always move on you know they always go to new york or or la or something and become you know you know work work they, they they working at it you know and um so you know they don't stay even here, well, here in New Orleans, one of my friends um, who directed me in a couple of stuff, I'm not even going to mention his name because I want to, he, he, he's, work, he's a working actor in New Orleans, but because we do so many movies, he gets a lot of work because he's so good. Right. But he still does, he still does, he still remembers his roots, but he makes his money doing, doing film, but he, the, the theater yeah, is like a labor of love for him, you know? And, um... And he's, you know, he's a top-notch actor. He was, I, he directed me in a show and got a performance out of me that nobody else could. I'll always be thankful for that because everybody who saw that said, wow, I didn't think you could do that. Because <laughs> I played the character so unlike anything I had done before. What we were talking about earlier with, um, with uh, Sarah Paulson and how she can become the character instead of the Sarah Paul, because that's what she does with the... Oh, yeah. And uh, we, um, you know, that, that's what it's like, you know. The, you know, the character takes over the, the personal persona. And I am a very mannered per. I'm a big personality. So to, to, to bury that under a character wasn't easy for any director. He used to say, uh, okay, you know, because I have mannerisms. He called them barryisms. Like, you know how I tend to rub the back of my head? And sometimes, you know, and I, and I tend to be a little bouncy sometimes. He, he, would, he said, no, stop that. That's a barryism. That's not your character. That's you. You're not being you. You're being your character. Right. <laughs> and I was very, very proud of the performance I gave in that show. It was, um, I still, and people that, that saw it still tell me it's some of my best work. And after that, I became a better actor because I learned how to, think like the character and how to do it. So this guy doesn't want to 
This guy wanted, like I said, he wanted to be. We have local people like that. They like being the big fish in a small pond. They'll go out into another somewhere like New York or somewhere like L.A., and they're not going to have the same glory they have here. They're not going to have friends in the press like they have. Here. I like being the fish in my own pond. Like no other <laughs> fish is in there. Nobody on the edge of the pond. I like to have the pole pond to myself. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know, and, and you know, the thing is, is that when I first started That's to do a, a podcast, I said, with so many podcasts, why would we want to do that? And I talked to, some, to, to one of the other podcasters, I said, why should I do this when you're here and they're here? They said, just remember, no podcast is going to be like yours. Exactly. They said, you and your, and your co-host bring a special something that nobody else has. So, you know, so I guess we're, we're, we're fishing our own pond. Like you said, that's what we are with this show. <laughs> you know? I know you have to, you have to drag me out of that little murky corner of the pond every now and then, you know, I get like stuck in my little murky corner and you have to, Barry's like, get the hell over here. <laughs> <laughs> nah, not that much. A lot come, less than you, you might come, think. You kind of, kind of drag me out the deep end to come like, you know, a sunbathe, lot less, a lot less sunbathe on the shallow end, you know. Oh, a lot less than you might think. It's, <laughs> it's it, it, everything. You, you do a good job on this I guess show. we all get stuck all on the deep about, end. So. All of the, the, the crew we have now is the best the show's ever had. You know, we, we have. No, oh, I'm, I'm loving our crew. Uh, yeah, I know. And I know, you know, when, when these two, uh, you know, when the other two started, we knew that they always weren't going to be able to do the show, you know, that, you know, they were going to be more recurring. And I think, and, and, and you know, like, like Shaughnessy being off this week and the next couple of weeks, well, that's fine. It doesn't mean we're not going to welcome her back. And nobody showed up drunk. No, no, nobody said stupid stuff, No, you know, so it's, um, yeah. we're doing well. And I'm just, I'm just hoping y'all stick with me. My doctors are doing the best they can. I actually got a little bit of some answers, hopefully getting some more by the end of this month. And I'm getting a little help for the neurological. So I was kind of afraid, I was kind of afraid of, uh, what was going on. And I mean, I'm not completely out the woods, but there's a little hope. I know you're doing okay though. You're there's fine. a little hope. I mean, the doctors, the doctor this past week really helped me out. I appreciate it. You're fine. So anyway, I can't give you her name, but she was an amazing doctor. My, my yeah, we don't get we don't give any. The only yeah. time I gave name of a garbage person, it was a person that's already dead. The when you know with the upstairs lounge thing, I gave his name because well, he's dead, and you know they can't do anything more to him now. And I just didn't. Want, I don't want to fuck up his legacy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think my doctor's listening to this, but if she is, you're awesome, and you know who you are. So, and so anyway, um, we uh, so yeah, we have people out there. We just have to watch out. You know, this could happen to any of us. Yeah. Especially if we have a little money in the bank and somebody and they want it. You know, I also learned when I'm in the theater is not to tell people about your accomplishments because they're not going to be happy for you. No. They're going to be jealous that they're not, they, they don't have that. If you're coming into some money, don't tell them about it. No. Be very. Because they want to want your money. If you, if you got, like, I, I remember I told a, when I was working on the Mississippi Queen, I did, we did a cruise, and it was a hard-ass job. And there were these seven ladies, the, 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 the singer on the cruise called them the Magnificent Seven. It was these seven older ladies going on a cruise together. And um, she, uh, at the end of the cruise, they gave me a tip of something like 100 bucks. 
and I mentioned it to one of the confident waitresses. She had a fit. She cried. She went to the to to the uh, the beverage officer. He told me I had to split split it with her. Uh-huh. After I split it with her, she she bragged about how she made over four hundred dollars in tips. Mm. I said, "You bitch." And you tend to take my money too. Mm. Well, that's one of the reasons we had to be very careful. So I, from then on, I knew I never tell any. When I was working in service, when you know, tip, don't tell anybody how much money you made. I never told any of. The, I never. I never even mixed with any of the other cab drivers. I never told them about a good fare that I had or a good regular fare that I had because I knew they were going to try to start something. There was only one coworker I could ever talk about when I was a reader that I could talk about with tips, and that was Lady Lee. That was the only person I trusted where we could talk about how her day went. She'd be your idol, isn't she? Huh? <laughs> She's your idol. I No, she, I had adopted her as my grandmother because like, she was so fabulous. But what she was the only one. She, she, she died back in um, the end of um, 2017, actually. Uh, she was having heart issues, dementia issues. Was she old? No, but I mean, I thought she would have might have had more time, but it was her time, I guess. It, she was she was in her 80s, so. Yeah, well, she'd been in her 80s. She lived a wonderful life, so. But yeah, she was the only person I could ever trust to talk about things because she wouldn't get ugly about it. Everybody else, like, I was very careful not to talk about tips to other people that were working there because sometimes they wouldn't get upset, but she, she was someone I could actually talk about it. You know, and I'm not trying to put down the other people. It's just, you know, she's the only person who genuinely wanted to know if I had a good day. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And I genuinely wanted to know if she had a good day. You know? Yeah, and if you want to, uh, you know, and sometimes you tell people, you you know, you got a good tip or you or you got a, and they, they want to get it from you. Yeah. You know, they, they you know, uh, like if you, if you got a good part in a show, why didn't you give that part? I had a I had a part stolen from me by an actor because I had gotten cast in this part, and I told him about it, and he went and uh, went to the director and said, "I would have played that. Why didn't you ask me?" Took the part from me and gave it to him because he had a little bit more of a name. Yeah. Then I had another incident where I had an idea for a show. I mentioned it on Facebook. Next thing I know, this. Uh, other person who shall remain nameless, but you know who he is, started doing the same show. Mm. So, anyway. Okay, so be careful of the Daniel Wozniak's in this world. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at A Shutters, on Instagram at Open Shutters Podcast. Our, uh, our Facebook page is the official page for Open Shutters, a creepy podcast. Our email for movies is movieshutters at AOL.com, and our regular email is openshutters at yahoo.com. Thank every each and every one of you for listening, and uh, just remember this. Until next time, enjoy the view from the open shutters. But don't fall out the window. Unless you're Daniel Wozniak. You could fall from the proscenium into the orchestra pit and get impaled by a flute. (laughs) <laughs> My food, that's...
<laughs> yes. Sounds like one of your horoscopes, huh? <laughs> Something. I might have to do that one one. The opera edition or the symphony edition, yeah. Do the Daniel Wozniak, uh, where you get... The, the community act, theater edition. The, the, the Daniel Wozniak uh, uh, edition, where you get... Uh, in, in different theatrical situations that kill on you. that note the curtain is closed y'all have a great night thank you bye bye, bye.